0: Well, friends, it's good to be back on my old stomping grounds here at Spirit of Life. Uh, I'm going to be back often, I think. Monsignor going away for his basic training to save our nation. And uh, <laughs> doesn't that make you feel safe? <clears throat> and uh, so I'll be filling in periodically. So it's good to be back and, and good to be with all of you. Uh, I beg your pardon, too, if I preach too long. I don't have a parish anymore, so I really haven't preached since, like, the first Sunday of Advent. So there's a whole bunch to say. You know me. Anyway, it's that time of year again. Yes, the time of year when people all over America pray. They pray that their favorite college football team will win. One of the bowl games, the many, many bowl games that are played. Seriously, I think there is a bowl game for every college team. I got online. I was a little interested. I wanted to see how many there are. I think there's 48. 48 different bowl games. And they have some really funny titles. Uh, for example, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Or the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl. Or my personal favorite, I, I laughed out loud, the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. I mean, how would you like to boast of winning that? Because somebody's like, I won the national championship. Well, I won the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. You know? But i I think that they should have maybe called that bowl the no-one's-gonna-watch bowl. But there's this beautiful, beautiful atmosphere that occurs within college football games. And NDSU, 3 Pete, go Bison. I even, when I was writing my homily, I wrote that in here. That's how sure I was they were going to win. But in the end, I'm talking about the five major bowls. If any of you are college football fans... The five major bowls of the BCS, so it's the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and the National Championship. And three days ago, uh, by God's providence, I got to go to the Fiesta Bowl down in Phoenix. And uh, it was quite, a relation, or quite, quite an experience. But I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with football. And I felt it at that game. There's 64,000 people at that game. The love part is pretty easy. I love sports. I love to play them. I love the manifestation of power and agility of the human person. I love the big stadium. I love the beer and the food. There's all this, just there's a great atmosphere at these stadiums. And I love the emotion that goes into sports as well from the fans and the players alike. And the hate part, I think, is pretty easy too, simply because I'm a priest. Whenever I watch uh, football, for example, either college or professional, it's not uncommon to see thousands, if not tens of thousands of people giving athletes not only admiration, but adoration. Worship. It's really incredible how much people know about sports, their favorite team, their players, their history, and how little they know about their faith. Or how much people look forward to games rather than Sunday Mass. Now, don't get me wrong. Football's good. Athletic accomplishments are incredible. And we should marvel at people's strength and agility and skill. And we should honor them. But there is something wrong. Something very wrong. In fact, there's something sinful to give to men and women, or any person for that matter, adoration. Or worship. And what makes it worse for me is not unusual that the same people who, are devote, so, who devote so much energy and time to sports and rendering worship to athletes and their team are those same people that often fail to render time and worship to the God that deserves it. The idea of worship came to me for two reasons today. Number one, it's the Feast of the Epiphany. The feast on which these men from the East... They come, they're pagans. (laughs) They don't even know Jesus. They come to him, and they bow down and worship before him. And second, because I saw what I would consider modern worship at the Fiesta Bowl. With over 60,000 people crazy, going crazy, rendering worship to the God of sport. Maybe even worse... (laughs) is this coming Monday, Christians all over the nation will spend more time and energy getting excited about the national championship game than they will about Sunday Mass. So worship's what's on my mind. What does it look like? I want to give you two examples, two different ones. The first one is the Magi from today's gospel. Okay. The first thing that we must understand about the Magi is they were intelligent men. I think there's this this rift in modern faith that says, in order to be Christian, you have to be stupid. The dumb people are the believers. They don't have reason for their belief. The people who are rational and stable, those are the atheists. They're the ones that know what the world's all about, the scientists. That somehow faith and reason, there's this break. When in the history of the church, all we have is intelligent men and women offering guidance and reasons to our faith. So the Magi, they were smart, they studied, they read, they questioned, and they found him. And when they encountered him, when they found him, three things happened. Three things. And I think these are the three keys to what worship looks like. And the first part of worship is desire. you got to want him. So first, when they show up, what happens? Joy. It says they're overjoyed at seeing God. So worship should bring you joy. Second... They prostrate themselves before him. That is, they lay down their lives in service. They make him first. You rule my life, not me. And third, they gave him the best of what they had. Not their leftovers. The best of what they had. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You can see that in the Magi, worship involves the whole person. It's not just something Exterior. Their response wasn't limited to their heads. It involved their whole person, their bodies, their gestures, their affections, their feelings, their everything. With this understanding of worship, I think the question I would ask all of you, even myself, was when was the last time you worshipped God? Not just sang a song, not just said some vocal prayers, but really worshipped him. Him. Or is what we do here an obligation? You might say to me, well, Father, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How do I define it? And that's where the second example comes in. Because I would say, if you want to see worship in the modern day and age, you go to arenas. You go to stadiums. If you really want to see it, Even if you don't watch college football, turn on your TV on Monday at 7.30 and you will see what worship looks like. You will hear people singing. You will see people jumping up and down, bodily responses. You will see people laughing. You will see people at the end of the game crying. And above all, you will sense an atmosphere and an attitude that you rarely sense in the church. Even if you don't like sports, I ask you, Just watch the beginning of the game. And for what? What's it all for? This football that's made of crystal. That's what they hold up for everybody to see and everybody goes crazy. And for whom? For themselves. But those games, those big games, maybe even the Super Bowl, what do they do for us Do they have any ultimate benefit for our life? Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be clear about something. I'm not advocating that next week you come with your faces painted, you know? And Jesus chants out in the parking lot and tailgating before Mass. I don't know if Monsignor would approve of that. It's not the actions that you see at a sporting event that I'm talking about, it's the attitude. It's the attitude. When those stadium doors open, (laughs) you're almost killed. And they're an hour early for the game. However, I will say this. There is one connection I saw between the football game and mass. When there's a blowout, when the excitement's over, people leave early. I noticed that. (laughs) But it's the heart. What's your heart look like when you come in here? What's your heart saying to you at 3 p.m.? Ah, I wanna watch NDSU throttle this other team for the third time. It's almost at the point where it's getting boring. Or does it say, gosh, you know, we should probably start getting ready for Mass so we're on time, maybe even an hour early. What goes on in your heart? In real worship, the heart and the emotions are involved. The whole person is. Are you right now? Are you involved? Is there a fire in your heart for about what's to happen right here? Because this is bigger than any national championship will ever be. And this has more ultimate benefit for your life than any sporting event will ever have. He's got it. (laughs) Or do you not know what he's done for you? Do you not know that he has made you? Do you not know that he has given you everything you have? Family, friends, gifts, talents, even those things that allow you to play sports. To watch your eyes. To have fire, your mind, your heart. Do you not know that he's been patient with you? Oh, so patient. Do you not know that he has been merciful to you? That he took the punishment that you deserved? That he has taken on hell, death, and the devil for you and has crushed them? All this and so much more God has done for us. What should we do in return? Shouldn't our hearts swell with love for him in the Eucharist? We should bow down before him in adoration and worship just as the Magi did. Give him the best of our time, talent, and treasure. And seek him with a heart full of anticipation of the good things he still desires to give to us. That's what this feast is about. Worship anything else in this world and you will be left empty. Worship the child in the manger. And give him the best of who you are and what you have. And not only will you receive joy in this life, but eternal happiness in the life to come.